that water won't be needed unless I don't have it. So thank you so much for having me here today. And uh, again, I had Matthew in class, and uh, he waited till the end of the semester to tell me who his grandfather was. If he would have told me earlier, he's a good friend of mine, I would have given him an A right away, but he had to earn it. So now, Aaron, I'm so glad you gave him a sabbatical. Uh, gives you guys a break. Uh, every church needs a break from their pastor every now and then. But I hired Aaron about uh, 10 minutes after he graduated. We met at Baker Square and talked. And of all things, my mother happened to be visiting during that time. And he met my mother. And he smoothed her like you wouldn't believe. Uh, and so she told me uh, before she went home to Missouri, she said, uh, you need to hire him. And, you know, you just you do what your mother tells you. And then he met Katie in, our, in the foyer of our church. And uh, the next day I said, did you meet uh, that young lady who was brand new to the church? And he said, oh, you mean Katie. He had already met Katie. And the rest is history. It's Father's Day. And Father's Day means different things to different people. I hope you had a great dad. Uh, and maybe you didn't have a great dad. But you've got a great heavenly father. I'll tell you that right now. But uh, Father's Day means different things to different people. And I have some isolated incidents in my memory bank uh, of things that my dad did to show me that he loved me. Now, I don't remember all of them, and you probably don't remember all of them. And the thing is, as fathers, we don't know which ones are going to be remembered and be meaningful. And so we want to put a lot of those in the bank so that our kids will have them to pull back up. But I wanted to share with you... Uh, a story by Jay uh, Palatner of St. Charles, Illinois, and this is about fatherhood. He said, it was near midnight. My wife and I were driving home from University of Illinois at Champaign, where our son Randy was a junior English major. My wife was asleep in the passenger side. I headed north, wondering what on earth had possessed us to take the afternoon off to make the trek to campus and back, a six-hour round-trip journey down Highway 47, all for nothing. I headed north wondering what on earth had possessed us. Well, for weeks, Randy had been telling me how much fun he was having playing intramural co-ed flag football. Maybe it was his talk of diving catches and trick plays, but I felt this sudden urge to cheer him on like we had in high school. Just several hours earlier, Rita and I had met him at the field. It was a crisp fall evening, perfect football weather. I was pumped. Randy introduced us to his teammates. You really came all this way just to see us play intramural co-ed flag football, they asked incredulously. Uh, the cheering section consisted of Rita, me, and an injured player on crutches. But we didn't mind. We watched the kids stretch and warm up and run through some drills, and there was... Uh, some sort of delay. Randy came over. The other team had to forfeit. They didn't have enough players. I tried to hide my disappointment. Fathers aren't the best at doing that. No big deal unless you've driven three hours to see this game. But we took Randy out for pie and coffee, and it was a nice evening. Uh, but I'd wanted to see him play intramural flag football. I tried to uh, hide my disappointment. Now, slowly, the car came to a crawl through the town of Yorkville. 
I couldn't help but thinking the whole idea had been foolish. I was behind on my work, really needed to clean out the garage, and we all know how high on the list that is, men, when you got the garage to clean out. Uh, I thought of all the t-ball games and soccer matches and the band concerts and the science fairs I'd gone through through the years for all my five children. Once Rita and I even snuck into the back of an English, room, English department room to see him in a skit. Maybe I was just trying too hard, he thought. Ahead I saw a bridge crossing the Fox River. A distant memory stirred from way back when I was a Boy Scout. Every fall our troop made a two-day, 40-mile canoe journey down the Fox River. There was one year I would never forget. My dad dropped my brother Mark and I off at the launch, made sure that our vests were snug, and said goodbye as our flotilla took off. I plunged my paddle into the water and pulled hard, then uh, lifted and stroked again. Mark, my brother, did the same. Before long, we had a good rhythm going, and I thought, I wish Dad could see us. About a mile downstream, we came to a bridge, and I looked up, and there he was, Dad, standing right in the middle of the span. He didn't uh, shout instructions or do anything embarrassing, which, by the way, fathers, uh, if you haven't done anything to embarrass your kids, you're not really a father. He simply waved until we passed underneath, and I looked back, and he was gone. Huh, was I just imagining him? But several miles later, at the next overpass, there he was again, and the one after that, and the next. It turned into a game. The whole troop began looking for him. And every time uh, we rounded the bend that day, someone would shout, There he is, uh, Mr. Palmentier. All the boys were waving now, but no one was happier to see him than I was. My dad had taken a chance and literally gone the extra mile and then some to show us his love. All these years later, it had never left me. Now I drove across the bridge in the darkness. I imagined Dad standing there, waving, still encouraging me. It made me think of a nightly prayer I said when the kids were younger, asking God to help me be the kind of dad that my kids need. At last, I understood the most important thing I could do for my children, just be there. Even if it meant going the extra mile the way my dad did for me, cheering me on. And you never know which memory they will pull up from the past that will make the difference. It's Father's Day, and our text is Matthew 4, 18 to 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his son John, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their, follow, and their father and followed him. Now, in our text, Jesus calls his first disciples. They are two sets of brothers who are fishermen, Peter and Andrew, as well as James and John. And the scene is dominated by a sense of urgency. In verse 20 and 22, we see how quickly the brothers responded. Now, a closer analysis by scholars of the meaning of the verbs in the original language indicates a kind of leaving behind that involves a forceful sense of removal 
or separation. These guys are making a clean break from the fishing industry. And for two of the brothers, their dad's fishing industry. Well, the words used in the original language correspond plainly the understanding of following as a disciple or companion. But the brothers falling in line so quickly with a complete stranger suggests a compelling authority of Jesus to prompt them to leave what is familiar and cherished to them. Fishing has been their livelihood, their property, their family business, to navigate uncharted territory. Jesus built his team from ordinary people. In verse 18, and Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. He didn't go to the synagogue and seek out the most promising students of ancient law. He didn't go to the upper echelons of society and ask for the next generation of great leaders to drop their studies and come and follow him. He went to the lake and called out some very ordinary men. Nothing much more ordinary in, in Jesus' world of that day than being a fisherman. They were uneducated fishermen, and they responded immediately. His name was uh, William, but everybody called him Billy. He grew up in poverty, spent part of his childhood in the soldier's orphan's home. Billy was a gifted baseball player. And uh, he made it to the major leagues, and he played for eight years in the major leagues. But somehow the Lord got a hold of him, and he decided he had a call to preach. And this was in the days before they strapped a microphone to your head and taped it to your, your jaw so you, it wouldn't move, no matter how uncomfortable it is. Uh, and it didn't have amplification. And if you were going to be an evangelist in that era, you had to have a voice. And you had to be willing to use it, and you had to project. And Billy Sunday did just that. And he held great revivals all across this country. No one was more well-known until Billy Graham came along than Billy Sunday was with his evangelistic campaigns. Frank Sinatra even mentioned him in a song. Well, somehow or another, God chose an orphan baseball player to have that kind of an impact on our world. I guess if God can call a fisherman and an orphan baseball player to spread the gospel, he might even be able to use me and you. You think? Maybe you won't hold revivals. But he can use you in so many ways right where you are. The call was simple, yet open-ended. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. Now, Jesus didn't promise these fishermen that they would uh, pastor a great church in Muskegon. But I probably because there weren't any great churches. In fact, there weren't any churches. It was just, come and follow me. He didn't send them to Bible college or seminary. He called them to come and follow him. He used language they would understand. If, we would have, if he would have said, come and follow me and I will teach you to exegete the scriptures and lead evangelistic campaigns, I think they would have continued to fish. But he spoke their language. I will make you fishers of men. 
I will teach you to capture the hearts of men the way you capture fish in your nets. I think it's interesting how people tell their story of coming to Jesus. And uh, for some it might say, you know, church music captured me. It was a hymn. It was a prayer course. I went to that church and the music grabbed my heart and that just led to me following Jesus Christ. It could be uh, an old-fashioned hymn or maybe a worship chorus. For other people, music had no impact, but the sermon did. Now, ministers love to hear that. You know, music, oh, boy, that sermon, that did it. <clears throat> so if you really, even if, you, if, you, if you're not telling the truth, it doesn't matter. If you really want to pump a minister up, just say, boy, that sermon was dynamic. Wow. Now, after first service, nobody came and said anything to me about that. So I'm trying to bring this home to you. If you really <laughs> want to pump somebody up. <clears throat> but to tell you the truth, there aren't a lot of people that say, yeah, it was the sermon that did it. Still others found themselves working beside a Christian, and it was their testimony that captured their heart. And I don't mean the words that they spoke. The life that they're living, the way they handle situations, the way they talk about their God and their church that made the difference and drew them into the fellowship and into the kingdom of God. Your testimony is delivered by your life, not your words. Jesus spoke the language of fishermen, and every one of us speak a unique language to our world. Everyone here is different. Everyone here has a circle of influence that nobody else has. You're the key person in your world that God can use with the people that swim into your net. Who are they? And how are you using that responsibility? The call was simple yet open-ended. Come and follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. There is no cap on the need for disciples. Going from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And God just continues to call people unto himself. That's why you're in two services so you can fit more people. I hope someday you're in three. I'd like to work Aaron to death. I hope someday you can't hold the crowds until you, until you have another service. That would be phenomenal. Well, but after that, the call to follow him, it is the call to be a witness. It is a call to make an impact on the people that he brings into our lives. Now, because I pastored in one spot for 33 years, you know, it's easy to do if no other church calls you. You just stay right there. And so we, we were there for 33 years in the same community. And that community grew from 3,000 to 10,000 as far as the population is concerned. And uh, people, after 10 or 15 years, would start recognizing me in the community. And I didn't know who they were, but they knew who I was. And you're always hoping they don't know who you are because you misbehaved at a basketball game or something, because that could have happened too. But they would, they would recognize me as the pastor of the Nazarene Church. And so I was uh, working at a, a funeral uh, not too long ago, not doing the funeral. I was just there greeting people uh, with the, the funeral director. And uh, this lady came up and she introduced me to somebody, and I didn't know who she was. 
but she knew who I was, and she introduced me. And she said, this is the pastor of the Nazarene Church who prepares that Thanksgiving meal for us seniors every year. Now, my wife started that about 25 years ago, and she has done that ever since. And we have this wonderful meal for senior adults in our community and usually have between 100 and 200 people there. And we don't charge anything. We have a good time and feed them. And uh, I have never cooked a turkey, and I've never mashed a potato for that meal. I've never made any dressing. I've never baked a pie for that meal. And yet, on that day, she said, this is the pastor who's provided for us seniors all these years. I was blessed by association. And that happens in your life as well, for good or for bad. We are a blessing by association. When we claim the name of Jesus, when we say, well, I'm a part of that Nazarene church in Muskegon, we are blessed by association, maybe for what others are doing. You've got, got a garden next door. Somebody's giving you credit, and you may not have ever tilled that garden. You may never picked a tomato. But you're part of that Nazarene church that has that garden. Whoever swims into your net, be fishers of men and women and children and boys and girls. God is always calling one more person to be his disciple. When Jesus calls, it can change our plans for the future. Verse 21, they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets. So the plan for the day, Zebedee said, this is where we're going to go fish, and this is what you're going to do, and this is who's going to be on the nets, and that's the plan for the day, because that's the way fathers are in a fishing boat. This is my 18th Father's Day without my father, but I don't need any sympathy because I had a Christian father for 55 Father's Days. He wasn't perfect, but he did a really good job in my opinion. I remember when I uh, called home to tell my parents, I was between my sophomore and junior years of college, and I called home to tell them that I had decided that night at a, a prayer service that I had a call into ministry, and I was going to be some kind of a minister. Didn't know what kind yet. And my mother was on the phone, and she tried to be encouraging and, and said some nice things, and then she put my dad on the phone, and I told him. And uh, he said, well, son, if you have to, you have to. Said, it's going to be hard. Now, that's what our family called encouragement. Uh, and, and maybe that's the way you got encouraged at times. They didn't discourage me, but they were, they were just being real with me. And they had been the pillars of their church, and they had walked with their pastor through some pretty difficult times. And my dad was thinking, you need to be prepared for this, son. This is not going to be a walk in the park. Had I had any idea how much I was going to love it, you know, I would have said yes way earlier. I didn't know I was going to love it. I thought when God called you to something, it had to be miserable. But I've loved it. But I didn't know. And so my dad encouraged me the best he could because his way of encouragement was to help me be prepared for what could be a difficult time. Well, every family is different, but in my family... Uh, we were we tried to be pretty honest about these things. Uh, it could be as simple as who you invite to share Thanksgiving dinner with you. 
Because when God starts to meddle in your life, it changes the way you make decisions. It's no longer just about what makes me and mine happy. So it could be that the Lord will say, you know what? I want you to invite this person over here or this person over here to Thanksgiving dinner, which will totally mess up the table settings. Uh, or it could be, uh, you know, it's really time that you foster a child. Or you know what? One of your kids has this really irritating friend that needs to go on vacation with you. When God starts to meddle in your life, it changes how you think and decisions you make along the way. Well, how's God wanting to meddle in your life? And there's also some heartaches and some tough times that are spiritual character builders. My dad was right. There were some difficult situations. But God's call is not always a career call. It's more often a call to make your career count for him, whatever career you're in. Zebedee could have discouraged his sons from answering the call to follow Jesus. We've uh, no record of what he said to James and John, but I doubt it was, have a good time, boys. More likely it was, what am I supposed to tell your mother? You going to be home for dinner? Who's going to clean these nets at the end of the day? What about your college loans? That's a more modern version. When your kid tells you he's going into the ministry or she's going into the ministry, well, what about those college loans? And that's where you really depend on God. Well, it could be Zebedee had been praying for his sons and knew something great was going to happen to them, but he just didn't know what or when. Zebedee goes down in history as the father who didn't stand in his son's way when Jesus called them into ministry. How about you this morning? Are you prepared to encourage someone in their pursuit of God's call, or are you looking at life in a more practical way, hoping for security and career advancement for your children? Now, if you say you're not, the next sermon will be on telling the truth. Because who isn't <clears throat> concerned about their children's future and their earning potential and their career advancement and that they'll be able to take care of themselves and they'll be independent? Aren't we all concerned about that? Question is, do we really believe that God knows them better than we do or knows what's best for them more than we do? Because we bring them down to the front of the church and we dedicate them and we tell God they're yours. And we walk back to the pew and take them back and wrestle with that right into adulthood. God, I want what's best for my kid. Now, God, here's what's best for my kid. Lord, I want to be surrendered. And when you call them, I want to get out of the way. A Southwest Airlines flight attendant is giving safety announcements before takeoff, and she uses this line. If you're traveling with children today, we are sorry. In the event of an emergency, water landing, secure your life vest first, and then choose the child with the greatest earning potential and help that one. You got to fly southwest. When it comes to our children, it's not automatic that we will want for them what God wants for them. Our prayer needs to be, Father, your will be done, 
in my child, not mine. Fathers, are you ready for your children to follow Jesus? Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And in hindsight, I'm sure Zebedee was uh, glad that they followed Jesus. But on that day, he was left by himself with the nets to be cleaned, no crew for tomorrow, and he probably had some real questions about who they had gone to follow. James and John didn't just hear the, just didn't just leave the boat, they left their father. And Zebedee let them go. I never, from the time I had a call to ministry, I never lived in my parents' home again. Never dawned on me till years later that they had let me go. Never gave me a hard time about not coming back there. Never lived close to my parents again for the rest of their lives or mine. The difference is there is no doubt that God the Father didn't just allow His Son to go. He sent Him on purpose. James and John didn't just leave the boat. They left their father. And God sent His Son, left His presence to come to be our Savior. Well, the only real pattern for fatherhood is the Father. Our Heavenly Father gave His Son to redeem our world. This morning, I want to conclude this service with a Father's Day blessing. And I'm asking that, well, I'm going to ask the impossible. I'm going to ask men to move from comfort to uncomfort. Is that a word, uncomfort? I'm going to ask every man in the church, whether you're a father, a son, uh, grandson, every man in the church to come down to this altar and stand elbow to elbow across the front, shoulder to shoulder. Matthew's going to come stand in the middle. He's going to pray a blessing over you. So men, if you just stand up right now and come down and do what you hate that I ask you to do. Men don't like to touch that much, but you need to be elbow to elbow with somebody. You might have to go two rows. Might have to do two rows. Because believe me, you're going to need God's blessing. As you are fathers and being good sons and being good grandfathers. This is what the other half of the church looks like. I saw the first half, now I see the other half. Matthew, pray a prayer blessing for us. Dear God. Today, I pray over the men in this church, the men in this community. I pray that we say yes to the call on our lives, that we say yes to following you and setting an example, not only for our own households, but setting an example in our workplaces, in our community, in our neighborhoods, by trying our very best to follow after you, to embrace Christ-likeness, to live a life marked by your love, so that we can do what Paul says and people can follow us as we follow you. I pray that we, we can be men marked by your grace who follow hard after you. Amen. Amen. Now, men, if you would, just turn around, face those ladies out there. And uh, ladies, if you appreciate these men, I think a standing ovation would be in order.
And the last scripture I want to read is from the prophet Isaiah. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And I would pray that that would be your prayer today, that when the Lord needs somebody in your circle, he'll send you.